This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. On your itinerary this week, I talk with award-winning digiscoper Tara Tanaka. We discuss the benefits of using spotting scopes to keep your camera bag light and extend the reach of your wildlife photography at the same time. This episode of Your Itinerary is brought to you by This Week in Costa Rica. This week-long, all-inclusive photography workshop will be led by me and Frederick Van Johnson, April 18th through the 25th, 2015. You'll be treated to all the photo opportunities you'd expect in this tropical paradise. You'll shoot wildlife, landscape, street photography, macro, you name it, and Frederick and I will be right alongside you with tips and advice to help you make the most of every unique opportunity. Find out more and register today at thisweekinphoto.com slash week dash costa dash rica. Welcome to Your Itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and my guest today is Tara Tanaka. Uh, Tara is a digiscoper, uh, birder, uh, multiple winner of Swarovski Optics Digiscoper of the Year, among lots of other awards. She has a photo in the Smithsonian. Uh, she's kind of a big deal. So welcome, Tara, and thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Now, I met Tara at the Bosque del Apache National Wildlife Refuge down in Socorro, New Mexico, and I was lucky enough to get a digiscoping lesson from her while we were there. And I had tried digiscoping before and had really uh, iffy results. I didn't get anything sharp. I didn't get anything that I that I even like. Um, but first of all, I've found that a lot of photographers and even a lot of avid nature photographers that I know, they don't have any idea what I'm talking about when I talk about digiscoping. So let's start by telling the audience kind of what it's all about. Okay. Well, um, with digiscoping, you are using the magnification power of a spotting scope to magnify the image that's coming into your camera. So you take a camera and normally you use kind of a, a short focal length lens. Um, I use a 20 millimeter lens on a camera and then you use some sort of adapter to mount that on the spotting scope. And um, you can get much longer focal lengths that way. Uh, the system that I use typically is um, starts at a thousand millimeters. Wow! So that's a huge difference from you know a lot of people can't afford anything past a say a three hundred millimeter lens, maybe or four hundred millimeter lens. Um, now, is that is there a crop factor on that? Kind of like there is with with the lens. In other words, you know, do you get a different magnification on a full frame camera versus a crop sensor? Well, your effective focal length would be very similar to a normal camera. You've got the crop factor of your camera times the focal length of your lens. So for me, with the GH4, that's a crop factor of two times the um, 20 millimeters of the lens. And then the scope that I use, I typically use it set with the eyepiece at 25 power. So the 25 times that 40 gives me a thousand millimeters. Wow. And so if it's a full frame, then you are getting um, a smaller crop factor to figure into that equation. Right. You would get less magnification. So speaking of magnification, if I'm not mistaken, the scope that you use, the, the Swarovski scope, uh, 25 power is as basically as wide as it would go. Is that right? Yes, it so, goes up to 70, but I, I never, I rarely use it above 25. I generally keep it at 25. Gotcha. Why is that? Well, if you if you go longer than that, then what you end up with is a longer focal length. And at that type of focal length, you really get um, you magnify errors, you magnify any movement whatsoever, even wind. You can see wind movement. Um, if your hand is focusing the scope, you magnify that. 
you also, you know, as you know, with longer focal lengths, you end up with either higher ISOs or slower shutter speeds. So um, with the with the sensors that we have now, I find it better to just go ahead and crop the photo if I need to, rather than zooming in. Gotcha. And that's one thing that's a little bit different with a spotting scope versus uh, just a long focal length lens is the as you increase the magnification, you also effectively stop down the aperture. It doesn't really have an aperture, but you let less light in. Um, so I don't remember exactly what the, the equivalent f-stop is um, at the widest end, but um, it, it dramatically reduces the amount of light as you zoom out. Right. there, I actually created a spreadsheet um, to be able to compute what the um, aperture was for different combinations of scopes and eyepieces and cameras. And for the system I'm using, it's about, I think, about an um, f5.6, hmm. which is really good because the lens is a 1.7. And so your lenses are normally sharpest, you know, a cu- couple of stops down from wide open. So that seems to be a really sharp combination. I see. So basically you can stop down the camera itself to f5.6 and and kind of get all the light that the scope is letting in. Is that right? Um, no, I shoot with it wide open. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I always shoot with it wide open. And it's sort of already stopped down because the amount of light that's coming through in that beam, you look at that eyepiece on the scope and you think, oh, you know, that big um, beam of light's coming through. But in fact, it's really probably only something like, you know, a half an inch, like equivalent to the f5.6 on that lens. I see. So you're, you're really not even dealing with the aperture on the on whatever lens you're using. Correct. I just shoot with it wide open. Gotcha. Now, these are some pretty technical details that we're talking about here. Um, were you a photographer before you started digiscoping, or have you learned everything you know about photography by shooting through a scope? Well, um, I've learned a lot since I started digiscoping in 09, but... Um, Back when I was in college, um, I got a Contax 3A rangefinder camera that my dad gave me, Mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't new back then, and um, a couple of really fast Zeiss lenses, and I didn't know anything about photography, so I went to the library, and I got an armful of books, and um, one of them was the camera in the Time Life series. It was called the camera, and it was really good, and it explained everything about aperture and back then ISO Um, shutter speed, the relationships. And um, so I did have a basic understanding of the um, kind of physics, optics of photography when I got into digiscoping. But with digiscoping, it is, you know, it's a little bit different. There are some subtleties that if you don't understand them can be um, pretty confusing. Gotcha. I'll bet. Um, Now, what do you find... um to be an advantage of using the scope versus uh, just getting a camera and getting a 600 millimeter lens and and shooting wildlife that way? Well, it's, it's much smaller. It's much smaller. It's lightweight. Um, You have a scope that you, if you want to, that you can use just as a spotting scope. Um, With the Swarovski, I've, I've had a number of different scopes. And with this Swarovski that I have now, the STX 85, the optics, are so good that I I really feel that, you know, it can be comparable to a higher quality, longer focal length lens. Um, I do shoot in nothing but manual focus. Uh, you can, you can use autofocus for digiscoping, 
but I just find it to be kind of slow and cumbersome and uh, focusing the scope is just an easy, it's an easy way to take photos. You can just, you know, focus continuously. And when I started shooting video, it just transitioned seamlessly because I was used to manually focusing. So um, it allowed me to follow the subject pretty well um, using manual focus. Gotcha. And that's definitely one of the uh, one of the huge differences is the way that the focus works. Now, how, how in the world do you do autofocus with a manual focus scope? Um, well, the the camera will focus on the image coming in from the scope. But what you have to do is you have to have your scope pretty close to being focused. You can't have it, com- you know, at the other end of the spectrum. You can't have it on infinity when your subject's really close. Um, but it will focus on the image if you have your scope focused relatively relatively close to being in focus. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Uh, I know when we were shooting, um, I was focusing manually, and I was shooting the GH4 also. And uh, any camera that has that focus peaking feature makes it, uh, I mean, relatively easy. It's still, when you're shooting at, you know, a 1,000 millimeters, uh, it is tough to to follow wildlife. The the shots of you know sandhill cranes and things like that just sitting on the water that's not really a big deal. You can sort of take your time and focus on them. That's great. But um, for the audience, Tara was kind of teasing me because I, I I would get some good shots of them of the birds sitting still, and then she like okay we need to get some uh, you need to get some flight shots, and she's just getting these great shots these birds in flight manually focusing swinging this thousand millimeter lens around, and and you really make it look easy. And and I can tell you it's not. Um, I think I got, I, I might have five shots that are in focus and, <laughs> and worth anything, but um, it's, I, I think for me as, as a traveling photographer, the, the size and weight of the scope is really attractive. It um, is. And, and, and I've taken my, there was a um, Mexican spotted owl when we were in Arizona last year. And in order to get to see this bird, he was way up a very, very long, steep, rocky trail. And um, I clipped it. I've got a little carrying system that I made and I sort of clipped it on my hip. And I hiked up there and got some photos of him. And um, later in the afternoon, I was with a, a group of birders. There was a local birder who um, I told him that I got the spotting owl. And he said, you carried that up, up that trail? And I said, yeah, I did. But, you know, it would have been impossible to carry a 600 millimeter lens. So it, it does give you um, a lot of portability. And, and for me, you know, not being as strong as a big strapping man, you know, I can still carry it for miles. Right, right. And and even the, um, we've been talking a lot about the Swarovski. That's the only scope that I really have any uh, any experience with. And it's modular. So the thing breaks down into two pieces. So you don't have to have that one special bag for your 600 millimeter lens. Um, you can basically you know, take it apart and put it in your regular camera backpack or something. I thought that was really cool. Yes. And even, um, even with the STX 85 assembled, I can put it in my think tank backpack mm-hmm. and it, and it fits in there, but yes, you can break it down. You could put it in a carry on bag when you're traveling. Um, it is really, really nice for that. Nice. Nice. So, you know, I think that uh, if you're willing to work a little bit harder with the, uh, um, manual focus and that kind of thing, that, uh, I mean, the price of a scope setup, it's it's not inexpensive by any means, but it's, uh, you know, a half to a third as much as a 600 millimeter 
uh, regular sort of conventional camera lens. Um, and it's it's less way less than half of the weight too. So I think there's a lot of advantages to to doing that. In fact, I'm um, I'll be getting my own scope hopefully pretty soon uh, in the next couple of weeks, and I'm I'm looking a lot really forward to to trying that out and getting the hang of it. Yeah, and it's another thing too. It's waterproof. I mean, you could literally put it underwater in the tub, and it wouldn't hurt it. Wow. And um, I, I know a lot of people who have dropped their scopes. I've never dropped mine, but apparently they take drops pretty well, too. So um, that's pretty different from a conventional lens. For sure. For sure. Well, now, a lot of places that, that we go to shoot wildlife are great for shooting landscapes and, and you know, sunsets and sunrises and that kind of thing, too. Uh, do, you, do you shoot anything else besides the uh, wildlife at this point? Um. I rarely do, you know, occasionally at, at Bosque, you know, when you have a beautiful sunrise or sunset, it's real easy to just unscrew the camera off of the adapter and um, you've got a 20 millimeter lens equivalent, 40 millimeter. Um, and that camera and lens are a really nice combination for landscape photography. So it's definitely available. Um, but I just love the detail that I can get with with the digiscoping system. So I, I tend to just stay with that. Yeah. I don't blame you. I, my, my plan is to carry the, um, uh, sort of an all in one camera, like the, the Lumix FC 1000. It's got a 25 to 400 millimeter lens and, and, uh, it's a smaller sensor, but it still makes a nice image. So my plan is to sort of have that over my shoulder while I'm using the scope. So I don't have to sort of pull the camera off and, and put it back on. Um, cause even, even using a long lens for wildlife, invariably the minute you start changing your lens and taking the camera out of off of your long lens is when you, you know, see the bird you've been looking for or whatever wildlife it is. And and now you've got to switch back and try to hurry. And it's kind of a, it's a hassle for sure. Exactly. I think that, um, successfully photographing birds, whether you're digiscoping or, you know, using a conventional camera, being ready to take the picture is the most important thing. Absolutely. And and talk about that a little bit, too. Um, I find that really with any subject, the more you know about your subject, the the more successful your photography tends to be. So how much of of your photography is uh, happens beforehand, getting to know the birds and where they go and what they do and then being able to anticipate what's going to happen? Um, you know, I do some research ahead, but I tend to find that when I'm there and I'm seeing the birds that I learn about them, you know, kind of on the job learning um, pretty quickly, you know, and, and observe them and, and watching them through the viewfinder of the camera at that kind of magnification, you see things that you just wouldn't see without it. You know, you see their expressions um, you see their pupils dilate if something scares them. Um, you, I think you just get a much deeper understanding of the bird um, than you would if you couldn't couldn't see those details. So I feel like I pick that up relatively quickly and, and learn. And I do like to, if I go somewhere to shoot, like at Bosque, we were there for two weeks. And, you know, I just kept learning and learning, okay, this is a good place to be. Um, they'll do this behavior when it's 20 degrees, the water's going to freeze. So you might get some slipping and sliding and get some good shots of them doing that. And you just, you just learn, um, from watching and being there. 
Yeah, I found the same thing. Um, you know, at Bosque, the the way that the sandhill cranes will lean into the wind before they start to take off, I, I picked right. that up really quickly. Right. So That's you right. know, sort of, okay, I can put the scope on that guy, and at least. At least I know where he's going to fly too. I know he's going to fly that direction because that's where he's facing, and um, makes it a little bit easier. Especially when you're talking about that super magnification, that thousand millimeters, um, you really need to have an idea of what you're going to shoot. You're not going to be reacting to a lot of things, right? It's it's a lot more of anticipating, right? And, and in the beginning, you know, you you really need to be set up more and more. But you know, with lots and lots of practice, you really can out of the corner of your eye, you know, like I I shoot with my left eye, but I keep my right eye open and I can see something flying with my right eye. And sometimes I can get on it, you know, pick it up and, and, uh, get a shot of it. So being, just being ready. Right. Practice, practice, practice. Um, now I noticed that you've been posting a lot of videos lately. Your, your Vimeo channel is getting um, pretty well populated. Um, Tell me about that learning curve. What what got you into shooting video? Is that something that you've always been um, interested in, or, or is that a new thing? Um, well, I guess pretty much from the beginning of when I started digiscoping, you know, I wanted to capture the beauty of of the birds. We live on a forty five acre cypress swamp in North Florida, which is really what got me into photography and digiscoping because um, I would see the birds out there, and I kept thinking, boy, we've got a we've got to capture this so we can share it with people. And so I spend quite a bit of time in, in my backyard, um, in the blind. And there would be times that there would be really interesting behavior. And so my first camera didn't have video and I, um, got a little Nikon camera that had video, but my regular camera, my G1, what that I started with, it didn't, um, it didn't have it. So then I moved up to a GH one and over the years I've, you know, I've shot video, mainly photographs, but as I see interesting behavior, I hit that red button. And because I've always done manual focusing, it's made it a whole lot easier to follow the bird and to get exactly if there are multiple birds to get the bird that you want to emphasize and you want the viewer to focus on, to focus on that one bird as opposed to using um, autofocus. So um, when I, this year, I got the GH4 and I really didn't even, I just wasn't really tuned into what 4K was. I didn't know that it had the 96 frames per second slow motion on it. It just had a faster frame rate and better ISO handling. So I got the camera just for that. But once I saw the 4K video, I just fell in love with it. And so now I shoot more and more video and I've still got hours from Bosque that I need to go through and um, trim because I shot so much video when we were there. Oh, I can imagine. Have you used any of the uh, the 4K photo settings? I know we were talking about that while we were shooting. I did. And, and it was funny because you had programmed my camera to shoot the 4K photo. And I was, um, I was photographing some quail. And I looked up and I saw these two bunnies playing in the background and I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to get video of that. It's so cute. So I switched it over. I thought I was switching it to four, just plain 4K, but I turned the dial in my excitement. I turned it the other way, and I ended up on the movie uh, program, which was the one that you had programmed into 4K photo mode. Mm-hmm. And I got like a couple of minutes of these two uh, desert cottontails playing and jumping and 
touching noses. And so then when I when I was downloading it and I looked at it and I saw what it was, I was able to pull lots and lots of really cute frames out of it. So it worked out really well. I did it accidentally, but um, it worked out really well that you had programmed my camera like that and that I put it in that mode. So it's it's a great it's a great feature of that camera. Yeah, I mean, you're basically you're getting a little bit of extra magnification even when you switch mm-hmm. to 4K, mm-hmm. and then you know basically 30 frames per second at at eight megapixels. Um, in fact, I think 90 percent of the the scoping shots that I got in Bosque were actually stills that I pulled out of 4K video. Right. Yeah. The bunnies they were sort of playing this game where they would jump alternately facing each other, and then they would touch noses. And then they would pull away from one another. And when, and that was 30 frames per second. And as I went through, I had, I would have one frame where they were getting closer, closer, and then they would touch noses. And I actually have one of those um, photos on my Flickr site. Yeah, I actually saw that. Yeah. They, They would touch noses. But the next frame, they would not be touching noses anymore. They would be, pulled away and, and a couple of times they would make a funny face like, Ooh, ooh, I touched your nose. <laughs> and, but you know, if I hadn't been shooting it in video mode, if I'd been shooting it at 12 frames per second, you know, there's a good chance that I wouldn't have gotten that shot, but at 30 frames per second, I was able to capture it. Right. Right. And, and in fact, that, that sort of thing. And for wildlife is one of the most compelling reasons for me to do, to use that 4k photo mode. Um, and, and what are those? Those are what, 8 megapixel? Right, right. 8 megapixel. Yeah, I, I just did a presentation a couple of weeks ago and I uh, up at Unique Photo in New Jersey, and I they printed a um, 16 by 20 of a still frame from a 4K video. Wow. And it just looked like a photo. It was cool. Mm-hmm. I, it was, I was even shocked by the, the quality of it. I've seen a couple of big prints like that, and, and it's just... I mean, it just looks like a picture. It doesn't look like a video frame or, or anything. It's, it's pretty cool, but... Um, yeah, something like that, like the the um, the sandhill cranes taking off. I got some really amazing shots, and like you said, I would have gotten a few of those shots shooting twelve frames per second. But I got, you know, you get to sort of hand pick. Okay, I like this this wing here, and not that wing, and uh, really sort of dial it in and get what you like. Yeah, you were you were an amazing first day student. I've got to say, I haven't taught a lot of people to digiscope, but. You were a quick study, and, and it was really fun watching your enthusiasm because I I watched you catch the bug. I watched you go from being a little frustrated with the 1,500-millimeter system you were using to being just totally excited like a little kid on Christmas <laughs> with um, what you were getting. So you did a great job. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait to get it. My, my father has a farm. He's got 73 acres about an hour north of Atlanta where I live, and it is like bird town up there we we went for christmas uh last week and by the time we got up the driveway we saw 10 different birds from wow. woodpeckers to hawks to you know cardinals and um hooded mergans or ducks on the pond and i just i can't wait to take the scope up there that'll be my that'll be my practice i'll just go sit by the pond for a couple of days and shoot but yeah i shoot out of a blind a lot in my backyard a, por- a portable blind mm-hmm and boy, it made the biggest difference in the world when I got that blind. I bet. Mm-hmm. Good. That's a good tip. Well, um, let's wrap it up with the usual five questions. So the first one is: is tell me about your current photo gear setup. We've talked a little bit about it. So, but exactly what uh, camera and lens setup and uh, your adapters and that kind of stuff. 
Okay, well, um, I'm using the Panasonic GH4, and um, the, I have the 20 uh, 1.7 Panasonic lens. Uh, there are two models of that. I have the older one. I don't really know the difference between them, but um, I've had that lens for a number of years, and I and I really, really like it. And then the adapter that I'm using um, to attach that camera to my scope is um, Paul Saya out of California started making these adapters called the Digadapter um, this year. His website's digiscopeadapter.com. And um, it's really a, a wonderful, simple, um, very strong um, adapter. And then I have the Swarovski STX. 85 scope. So that's the STX is the straight eyepiece, which I really like for bird photography because it's, it just lines you up better with the bird than an angled scope. So it allows you to uh, pick up a bird in flight a lot faster. And the 85 refers to the size of the objective. They have a 65 and 85 and a 95. And I, I like the 85. Um, so, and I now use a video head. I've got a Manfrotto video head and uh, really right stuff legs. Cool. And how has your setup changed at all over the last year or so? Um, yes, really. I've I've changed out everything in the last year. Um, I I have the I have the STX ninety five, um, which starts for my system at twelve hundred millimeters. So I bought the eighty five objective so that I could get down to a thousand millimeters, which um, I just more light, um, better for big birds. So I got that, and the Digadapter is new this year. He just started making that this year. And then, of course, the GH4. I was shooting with the GH3 and um, got the GH4, and it's just orders of magnitude um, better functionality for me for digiscoping. Um, Actually, the lens is the same. The legs are new. I wanted sturdier legs to kind of support that long focal length when it was windy, um, longer legs to be able to point up into a tree and get red cockaded woodpeckers. Um, so I, I've changed out just about everything this year, although it's it's similar. It's just kind of an upgrade to what I had. Right. Cool. So when you're on the road, what do you do to make your, your accommodations feel like a home away from home? Um, my husband and I have a little 24-foot travel trailer, and we really, whenever possible, we, we take that travel trailer and, um, I've done a lot to customize it and make it comfortable for us. And we just, we like to eat healthy food. We cook all of our own meals and, um, we're just a lot more comfortable in our, in our own little travel trailer. Plus staying in campgrounds, um, there's so many birds in campgrounds and they're used to people. So Really, as a wildlife photographer, I just find it a big advantage to be staying in a campground uh, versus staying in a motel. Sure, you're not shooting a lot of wildlife out of the the window of the, the no. double tree, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, from a photography standpoint, what's the favorite place that you've visited lately? Oh, Bosque. Yeah. I, um, yeah, that was on my husband's bucket list. He wanted to see large flocks of geese and sandhill cranes and. You know, I thought it was a long drive, and I just re- I really wasn't that enthusiastic about it, but he wanted to go, and oh gosh, I was just, it was just such an incredible experience, the, just the sounds even of the geese coming in and the cranes, and 
It, it was a wonderful, wonderful trip. I highly recommend it to any birder or photographer who's never been there. Yeah, I totally agree. That was uh, a really, really amazing experience. Uh, and where are you looking forward to visiting and shooting next? Um, we don't have any big plans, but uh, in January in Titusville, Florida, is the Space Coast Birding Festival. And Swarovski is sponsoring um, a World Digiscopers meeting at that. It's the first time that anything like that has ever been organized. And Digiscopers are coming from all over the world, uh, people that I've been friends with online for a few years now. I'm going to get to meet and go out and shoot with them. And um, there's a whole program just for digiscoping at that at that festival. So um, for your listeners, if they're thinking about getting into digiscoping and are going to be anywhere near there, that might be something that they might be interested in. Very cool. And what's the dates on that? Um, I think it's about the 22nd through the 26th of January. Okay, so sort of the end of January? Yes, the end of January. I I might be off on those dates, but it's something close to that. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. I'll be at the Space Coast Fest, and I didn't even know about the digiscoping event until we were in Bosque, so I'm I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's on the program if you go to the Space Coast um, Festival page. Very cool. Well, thanks for being on the show, Tara. Uh, that was that was really interesting, and I bet a lot of our listeners have learned a lot this week that they didn't know about before, didn't even know to ask about. So um, I think that's going to be really cool. Now, where can the listeners find out more about you online? Um, well, I, I primarily post on Flickr. Um, if you just search on Tara Tanaka on Flickr. Um, I do have a Vimeo site, but um, I do I do most of my posting through Flickr. Gotcha. Great. Well, thanks a lot, and I will see you at the end of January. Okay, I'm looking forward to it, and you ought to be pretty good by then. I know once you get your scope, you'll be out there a lot, so I can't wait to see all the improvement that's going to take place between now and then. Cool. I'm excited about it. (laughs) Well, if you like what you hear on your itinerary, please tell all your friends about it, and stop by iTunes and leave us some positive feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography. Photography.